Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Hi, Housing Wire listeners. My name is Melissa Smith, and I'm the Managing Editor of Content Solutions here at Housing Wire. In this sponsored episode of Housing Wire Daily, we're joined by Kim Nichols, Senior Managing Director at PennyMac TPO, to talk about the state of today's market and housing constraints. Kim, it's so nice to have you here today. Thank you for joining us on Housing Wire Daily. Well, thanks, Melissa. It's so nice to be here. I've been looking forward to this opportunity. Jumping right in, towards the end of 2021, industry experts were already predicting that 2022 would be dominated by purchase originations. Heading into Q2 already, how are you seeing that play out? Well, Melissa, we're definitely seeing that materialize. If you look at the NBA's most recent forecast, for example, we're seeing that Q1 purchase share is eclipsing that of refi and reflects 55% purchase share for this quarter. And if you contrast that with Q4, MBA's data reflected purchases at just about 47% of originations. But here's what's pretty dramatic. When we look uh, at their outlook for Q2, and yes, Q2 that's staring us right in the face starting somewhere next week, uh, we see refi share drop down again to 29% of the origination market by volume. So that is definitely playing out. And when you look out a bit further to Q4, the MBA sees refinance share sinking to only 26% of the market. So we'll be looking at nearly three quarters of all originations being purchased transactions in Q4. Now, the MBA's full year forecast reflects the total mortgage market at 2.63 trillion. They just updated a couple of days ago. The the purchase market is projected to be 1.77 trillion in 2022, as compared to the 1.64 trillion we saw last year. So in dollars, the purchase market will actually be actually be larger in 2022. But what's very interesting is that all of this is being achieved through price increases, because as you look at their projection, it's actually for fewer purchase units. So anyway, you look at it, a total mortgage market of $2.6 trillion is still a very large addressable market, a huge opportunity. It's just a bit out of sync with industry capacity right now. And I know it feels a bit shocking to everyone coming down off of back-to-back record years in the, the mortgage industry. Absolutely. And that's a great segue into our next question, because um, we've seen a brief dip in rates due to the pressure of international conflict. Mortgage rates are on their way back up, and they're continuing to climb. How do you anticipate this rate environment will last and where are we headed next? Yeah, um, first of all, you know, our hearts want to go out to the people of Ukraine. And I want to acknowledge the tremendous hardship they're facing as we all see the devastation there. And um, before the conflict, we already already saw rates inching up on inflation concerns. And then on the onset of the conflict, we had a very short-lived flight to quality rally And as you mentioned, we saw rates dip temporarily. But now it's apparent that inflationary pressures are compounding even more as a result of the situation in Ukraine. Oil prices have risen sharply, and we already had um, tremendous supply chain constraints going into this. 
So now with the impact of sanctions and the global situation, including renewed COVID lockdowns in China and Hong Kong, alongside very high oil prices, inflation concerns have definitely heightened. Um, We also have to remember that oil prices have a broader impact on prices way beyond what we all pay at the pump. So here we sit today, the 10-year hit a post-pandemic high of just over 2.4% this week, and mortgage rates are now in the mid to high fours, and we're even seeing some loans with a five handle popping into the pipeline, and I actually had to do a double take on some of those. So, um, but for now, you know, everyone's paying very close attention to the Fed. The 25 basis point increase we saw in March was fully expected and already baked into mortgage pricing. Then Powell stepped in and made some more hawkish comments, prompting a lot of selling in bonds. And then after his comments and acknowledgement that the Fed will need to do more than just their, you know, traditional little 25 basis point increases, uh, market estimates now are for a 50 basis point Fed rate hike in May and possibly another 50 basis points in June. So we'll we'll definitely, you know, they will definitely need to um, do more than that to get to the Fed's target rate range of 2.5% by year end. And of course, balance sheet reduction appears to be likely or in play as well. Uh, from there, I think we, you know, f- from, from this point forward, I think we continue to focus on inflation and the Fed. We've got to keep watching that. Inflation fighting is going to be very tricky for them in light of the increase in oil prices, supply chain issues, the labor shortage, and housing inflation. Um, And unfortunately, I think volatility is likely to be with us for a while as well, which really makes the day-to-day very interesting with what seems like four to five rate sheets going out every day. Absolutely. It's a challenging market. But even if rates were to return to last year's lows, there's no denying that we're still facing a housing supply shortage. I know this is a loaded question, but how did we get here? Well, I'm I'm not an economist, but it's definitely something I've had a lot of conversations and a lot of reflection on. Um, let's let's just start by going back to 2019, pre-COVID. You know, there there were we were already challenged as it relates to housing supply. Building regulation that took hold in the wake of the financial crisis and slowed, you know, it, it slowed permits and, and new construction. Also, according to the National Association of Home Builders, the construction industry lost about 1.5 million jobs during the financial crisis. The building industry was already talking about their labor shortage back in 2019. So when we went into the pandemic, we already had a very, very low pipeline of new construction inventory. And I specifically recall a Housing Wire interview that Clayton Collins did with Fannie Mae's chief economist, Doug Duncan, discussing these issues in 2019. Um, In addition to the zoning restrictions and additional constraints on builders, there was discussion about how older Americans or the boomers, if you will, are choosing to age in place. So less housing supply was being relinquished into the market. And at that point, they were all talking about how Millennials had delayed homeownership and family formation and marriage and whatnot, but that we needed to be ready for the demand once they came into the market. So now, inter COVID, Fed drops the benchmark rate to near zero. We see mortgage rates with as low as a one handle. You know, it's hard to believe we were all marketing 175, 199. You know, it's hard to believe that now, given, given where we're at today. But then, 
COVID became an impetus to make a housing move, whether it be a first-time homebuyer or the millennial who put off homeownership. Then the pandemic shows us that, hey, maybe I don't have to live close to work. And others may be wanting to move up to a larger home as work from home has become an option for more workers. And then you have those that were influenced by COVID as a catalyst to live closer to family and friends instead of, you know, really focusing on proximity to work, which has historically been an influential factor in homebuyer motivation. So you saw lower rates and new pandemic-driven motivation to buy a home. And as I said, there were already inventory constraints going into the pandemic. And lower rates and even more homebuyer demand exacerbated this housing supply problem that we have. It was, it was all, you know, because it was already an issue. And back to the supply chain uh, challenges I mentioned, you know, builders can't build if they don't have supplies and they can't build if they don't have labor. And I spoke to the MBA's chief economist, Mike Frantoni, about this. And he was discussing the fact that supply chain issues kind of hold the keys to addressing our housing shortage. And that seems to continue. And that was kind of, you know, back in December, January. And that, that seems to be, it continue to be a prevailing factor as we head into the remainder of this year. Um, I've, been, I've been asked my opinion as to whether or not higher rates might help neutralize or balance out the supply issues through less demand. But if February's data is any indication, that doesn't appear to be happening uh, just yet. So as, the, uh, at the, as of the end of February, NAR reported that housing inventory was uh, 870,000. That was up just uh, about 10,000 from January. But get this, down 15.5% year over year. This is very staggering. So we're still seeing the impact of pent-up demand play out. You know, there has to be... Um, a point at which rates start to impact this, and and maybe the March data will give us some indication in that regard. We'll wait for that. Wow, thank you for painting that picture so clearly. Um, you could absolutely moonlight as an economist. <laughs> <laughs> that would be fun. <laughs> but as a result of that low inventory, um, we've been in an extremely competitive seller's market for a while now. What complications does this type of market create for lenders? Well, housing affordability needs to remain in focus, not just for lenders, but across all stakeholders. I mean, we already had the complication of low supply made more challenging by the supply chain issues, labor shortages, and all of that driving up home prices, um, you know, as we've already talked about. And now we have higher rates adding to the challenge of affordability. I read an article earlier this week that cited some data from the MBA indicating that the rise in mortgage rates since September has increased the cost of a monthly mortgage payment for a median median-priced home by more than $400 or 27%. Then you factor in home price appreciation that's still continuing and you can really start to see the additional pressure on affordability. Uh, the MBA has a new index I just heard about today, and it is called the Purchase Applications Payment Index. I guess we'll just call it PAPI. And I was thinking about that, I had to laugh because that's what I called my grandpa. But uh, the PAPI will be used to quantify uh, housing affordability going forward. Uh, so it will be it'll be very interesting to follow PAPI as we watch rates rise and, and keep our eye on home values. 
But uh, lenders can't solution you know, the affordability problem on our own. Uh, most of us need liquidity for the products we originate. Addressing affordability is going to require alignment uh, between the lending community, government, and regulators. This needs to be a full collaborative effort with the GSEs, FHFAs, CFPB, HUD, VA, Jenny May, housing finance agencies, and of course, our industry trade organizations as well. And we need to solution. And, and as we solution for this, it needs to be for true affordability, not just, hey, let's allow you know borrowers to qualify at 65 DTI so that you know more people qualify. Uh, we've seen how these things play out and it doesn't have a good ending, right? So we need real sustainable solutions. Last October, the MBA introduced the Home for All initiative which puts focus on addressing the racial home ownership gap, which is closely tied to the issue of affordability and deserves tremendous focus. Uh, one positive we're seeing is a lot more interest in manufactured housing. Uh, to, borrow a stat, uh, to borrow a stat from Freddie Mac that I saw, manufactured homes cost 45% less per square foot than site-built homes. And we're seeing some very high quality manufactured housing stock come out at affordable prices. And, you know, the GSEs have, have opened up their, their lending box for this housing type, and that's resulted in more lenders offering financing on these homes. So these would be a good source of affordable housing, but we need to temper our enthusiasm some because the builders of these homes are facing the same supply chain constraints that we see across the rest of the building industry. But that's, you know, that's one small part of the solution, and it's going to take a lot of effort and a lot of focus to solve for the broader affordability issue, and, and we have a long way to go. Absolutely. And for our final question, really honing in on Penny Mac, how does Penny Mac help lenders solve for these issues? Well, for one, we recently initiated uh, loan purchases of manufactured homes in our correspondent channel, and we'll soon be opening that up in our other channels as well. Uh, we also rolled out our suite of conventional sofa arm products across all of our channels. We're offering 5.6, 7.6, and 10.6 arms, and we're helping our TPO partners monitor fixed arm spreads daily and sharing you know, scenarios where an arm might be the best option for certain borrowers. These, these products can work really well for a borrower who doesn't mind paying points to get a low rate. But we don't see uh, high, the high price premiums to cover costs the same way we do with fixed rates. Uh, but at least there's a you know still a means to get a rate in the threes on these right now. So it could be a, a more affordable option who believes they might be in their home for less than five, seven, or ten years, as the case may be. Uh, we're spending a lot of time educating our partners, and recently hosted a webinar on on the topic of arms to educate not only on the technical aspects of ARMS, like explaining cap structures, resets, and qualifying requirements, but also as, as to, you know, what are the best practices for positioning these products and helping our partners in turn educate the consumer? There are so many, as you know, new loan officers who jumped on the bandwagon, this great market we've had over the past few years, and these new LOs you know, might be awesome, but many have never sold an ARM. Even the season LOs have appreciated a refresher through some of the training we've offered on these products. And, you know, these are a different, different breed of ARM products. And it's important to be able to position these 
versus the adjustable rate products that were prevalent leading up to the financial crisis. Uh, There's no negative amortization, for example, no prepayment penalties, and you have an extended fixed rate period. And the SOFR index tends to have less volatility than the, the indices we saw previously. But of course, Melissa, right, as we're talking about ARMS, there's a lot of talk about a possible yield curve inversion. So stay tuned on that topic. Uh, but we'll continue to pay attention to fixed arm spreads in the meantime and help our clients position those accordingly. Um, while we're on the topic of affordability, I'd never thought I'd be saying this in an affordability conversation, but actually our jumbo offering is helping address the affordability issue in high cost markets like the Bay Area, where sadly a starter home might be in that, you know, one, three to one, five million range um, certain areas and conforming high balance is just not enough to get them there. So Having a a jumbo AUS program with straightforward underwriting and simple documentation requirements has really been helpful. And if we zoom out a little, changes in our industry have been a catalyst for reassessment. And when I say that, whether you're an LO, a broker, a small mortgage bank, we're having a lot of conversations with customers about what's next for them. We're seeing successful LOs and branch managers from distributed retail shops reach out to us to advise them on starting their own mortgage brokerage or mortgage bank. Uh, Brokers, which is the primary channel that I'm focused on, obviously had a couple of great years in 2020 and 2021, like all the rest of us did. And but they were they were all about optimizing into the best mortgage market we've ever seen, right? And they were knee deep into their pipelines for the past couple of years. Now some are starting to recover from their burnout and come up for air and are now thinking about taking some of the money they've made and investing more deeply into their future. And some are considering a transition to the emerging banker model. You know, they're looking at warehouse lines, staffing needs, and working capital considerations, as well as assessing, you know, what tech support might be needed for a possible transition. Um, Other partners are you know, set on maintaining their existing broker models. And we think that's great too. And we'll obviously continue to help them grow into this more challenging market. But we're also in a great position to act as a guide in in the transition from broker to emerging banker in the non-DEL channel. And then of course, to delegated best efforts, delegated mandatory and beyond. As a number one correspondent investor and number six lender in the wholesale channel, you know, we're Penny Mac's in a great position to help our partners achieve whatever their aspirations might be along that full professional and growth continuum in our industry. But I believe, you know, this inflection point and reassessment period will drive some very interesting movement in the industry. And what's so great about the mortgage industry is that no two companies find success in the exact same way. I've had the opportunity to work with hundreds of business owners throughout my career. And I'm always so fascinated by how each one finds their own unique path to success. Well, Kim, it's been so great to hear your insights on everything that we're seeing and experiencing in today's housing market. Thank you so much for joining us on Housing Wire Daily and sharing your thoughts. Listeners, we'll see you here tomorrow. According to a recent article on the Great Resignation by MIT Sloan Management Review, more than 40% of all employees were thinking about leaving their jobs at the beginning of 2021. 
and that figure only grew as the year went on. So how are leaders finding ways to retain valued employees? Or maybe you're even asking these questions as a leader yourself. Step one to addressing this, empowering team members to take ownership of their professional growth. This is why we've invited leadership coach and author Renee Rodriguez to join us for this HA Plus virtual masterclass. Think of this class as a one-stop shop on what you need to know to take your leadership to the next level. Go to housingwire.com to learn more and register. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.